This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, I can't slow down. It's gonna go. This jam is amplified, so just glide. Glide and let your backbone slide. slide. Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is September 17th, 2014, and I. I'm your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is Let Your Backbone Slide, Paracetamol for Low Back Pain. Our guest skeptic today is Dr. Paul Agerwick, and he's from Norway. He's an ER physician who works in a community hospital. He has a keen interest in everything evidence-based medicine, so I like that already. And he's also very interested in ultrasound. He's currently bringing an ultrasound podcast crew to Norway, and you can check out his site called sononorway.com. Welcome to the SGEM, Paul. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. This is a truly international podcast since we've got someone from Norway. Indeed it is. Paul, your name doesn't sound very Norwegian. In fact, it is. It's hard to put that little circle above the A in, in American uh, keyboards. It's a fairly common Norwegian name, I would say. I was just going to call you Pal because it's P-A-L, but it's actually pronounced Paul. That's right. So what got you so interested in ultrasound? The idea of doing better diagnostics close to the patient and in real time is compelling to a um, computer nerd like I am. So we like to start these podcasts with a case. So the case that we're going to bring up today is a 35-year-old man who presents to the emergency department, and he has mechanical back pain after doing some heavy lifting on the weekend. He does not have any red flags. So Paul, what's the question we're going to try to answer? Yeah, so the question is, does paracetamol improve time to recovery from pain compared to placebo in patients with low back pain? Now, low back pain is one of the leading causes of disability worldwide. And there are many guidelines that recommend using paracetamol. And Paul, I better let everybody know, especially the American and Canadian audience, that paracetamol is acetaminophen because we don't want to lose people right at the start of the podcast. Paracetamol, when we say paracetamol during this podcast, we're referring to acetaminophen. The leading cause of disability worldwide is low back pain. And guidelines recommend using paracetamol or acetaminophen as a first-line agent. And some of those societies are the American College of Physicians and the American Pain Society. Do you see many patients in the emergency department with low back pain in Norway? We see a ton. At least a third of all our patients have musculoskeletal um, complaints when they present to us. And our Norwegian guidelines also recommend paracetamol as a first-line agent for treating that. Yeah, low back pain. It's a bread-and-butter presentation to at least my emergency department. But I could not believe that apparently there has been no randomized control trials comparing paracetamol regularly being dosed or as needed, versus placebo for low back pain. I thought that was odd. Yeah, that's really weird. And kind of just, uh, again, brings us back to the heuretics of our practice. 
That's why we need to remain skeptical of everything that we've been taught. Now, we mentioned there were no red flags in this person's presentation. So I think it's important just to, before we do the critical review on the manuscript, is to talk about red flags. And one way to organize the red flags of back pain is to put them into six broad categories. Now, of course, I would have preferred five, but I got this list from the Family Practice Notebook. So can you give us those six red flag categories? I know I really don't like it being six either, but um, the first one would be that your cancer-related low back pains. Your second category would be your infection-related low back pains. Then you have the cauda equina syndrome-related ones. Then you have the significant herniated nucleus pulposus-related back pains. And then you have the vertebral fracture-related back pains. Last but not least, abdominal aortic aneurysm as cause of lower back pains. So we'll elaborate just a little bit on each one of those. So the first one you mentioned was cancer-related red flags with associated low back pain. And so this is the patient that has a history of cancer, unexplained weight loss of greater than 10 kilograms within six months, over the age of 50 or under the age of 18, failure to improve with therapy, pain that persists for more than four to six weeks, and someone with cancer who has night pain or pain at rest. Uh, then you have the uh, your uh, infection-related red flags with low back pain, and you would include persistent fever to that group, um, history of intravenous drug abuse, quite a severe pain, lumbar spine surgery within the last year, a recent bacterial infection, or a people with a immunocompromised state of um, health. Then the third in that category was that cauda equinus syndrome. And these are the people that present with the urinary incontinence or retention. They could have saddle, anesthesia, anal sphincter tone, which is decreased, or fecal incontinence, bilateral lower extremity weakness or numbness, and progressive neurologic deficits. All right, and then we have the significant herniated discs, the nucleus pulposus red flags, uh, which would include a major muscle weakness, strength three of five or less, uh, or a drop foot. And then the fifth in that category was if you're concerned about a vertebral fracture, and this could be a red flag again in someone with low back pain. So this is the fifth in the category. And it would be someone who has prolonged corticosteroid use age greater than 70 years, a history of osteoporosis, someone with mild trauma over the age of 50 or with osteoporosis, or someone less than that age or any age who has significant trauma. Okay, and the last category would be abdominal aortic aneurysms um, as a cause of lower back pain. And um, the red flags here would be like an abdominal pulsating mass atherosclerotic vascular disease, pain at rest or nocturnal pain, and age above 60 years. So Paul, those are the red flags that we need to worry about when we're evaluating low back pain in the emergency department. However, this man did not have any of those concerning history or physical findings. So what's the title of the article we're going to review on today's podcast? Yeah, so the um, article that we'll be reviewing is uh, an article by, uh, by Williams et al., Efficacy of Paracetamol for Acute Low Back Pain, 
double blind randomized control trial and it was published in the Lancet July 24th uh, of this year. So we are really cutting that KT window down to under one year. Let's go through the PICO, the population, the intervention, the comparison or control, and the outcome. So what population were they looking at, Paul? They were looking at 1,652 patients from Australia and New Zealand. And so their inclusion and exclusion criteria were as follows. They included adults who sought care for low back pain directly or in response to a community advertisement. They had to have a new episode of pain between the 12th rib and buttocks. It had to be shorter than six weeks in duration and did not have pain within the prior month. They couldn't have any leg pain. Pain had to be at least moderate intensity to to be included, and they used a specific evaluation tool to quantify this. Now, they excluded anyone they suspected of having serious spinal pathology, current use of full regular doses of analgesia, spinal surgery in the last six months, contraindications to paracetamol, use of psychotropic drugs, or if the patient was pregnant or planning to get pregnant during the study, they too were excluded. So what was the intervention, Paul? Well, they had two of those. They had a paracetamol as needed and paracetamol as a regimen. And did they placebo control it? Yes, they did. So what was their primary outcome that they were looking for? So the primary outcome was time to pain-free, and that was measured on the visual analog scale at a value of zero or one and maintained for seven days. And then they had a number of secondary outcomes. Could you list those for us? Yeah, so they had some secondary outcomes too, and they were pain intensity, disability, function, global rating of symptom change, sleep quality, and quality of life. Uh, process measures consisted of adherence to drug daily and at four weeks, concomitant treatment use and works absenteeism at four and 12 weeks, adverse events at one, two, four, and 12 weeks, and treatment satisfaction and patient masking at 12 weeks. So the author's conclusions were, quote, our findings suggest that regular or as-needed dosing with paracetamol does not affect recovery time compared with placebo in low back pain and question the universal endorsement of paracetamol in this patient group, end of quote. Well, this was a randomized clinical control trial, and so there are 11 questions that we like to use to probe the study's quality. Paul, I'm going to run through those 11 quality checklist questions with you now. So the first quality checklist question is, Was the study population included or focused on those patients in the emergency department? No, it wasn't. 235 primary care clinicians, of which 181 were general practitioners, 50 were pharmacists, and 4 were physiotherapists, screened consecutive patients who sought care for low back pain directly or in response to community advertisements. Question 2. Were these patients adequately randomized? Yes, they were. Did they conceal the randomization process? Yes, they did. Question four, were they analyzed in the groups they were randomized? Yes, they were. Were the study patients recruited consecutively? Indeed, they were. Were the patients in both groups similar with prognostic factors? 
Yes. Number seven, were all participants unaware of their group allocation? They were. Were all the groups treated equally except for that intervention? Yes. Question nine, was the follow-up complete? Yes, it was. Question 10, were all patient important outcomes considered? Yes, they were. And was the treatment effect large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? Unfortunately, no, it wasn't. So let's go through those results. The key results were they had about 550 patients in each of the three groups. So in the regular group, the as-needed paracetamol group, and in the placebo group. So was there a difference in their primary outcome for time to recovery from low back pain? And just to remind everybody, that was defined as self-reporting a zero or one on a visual analog scale, pain-free for seven days. Well, Ken, there was no difference in median time to recovery between those three groups. Regular 17 days, as needed, 17 days, and placebo, 16 days. Okay, so there was not a difference in their primary outcome, and it looks like it took a median time of about two and a half weeks for all the groups to be considered pain-free for their low back pain. They also expressed this result as a hazard ratio, and they looked at regular use versus placebo, as-needed versus placebo, and regular versus as-needed. And all the hazard ratios hovered around one, and the 95% confidence interval crossed one. But what about secondary outcome? I mean, they looked at pain intensity, disability function, global rating, sleep quality, quality of life, adherence to drugs, concomitant treatment use, work absenteeism, adverse events. Oh my goodness, Paul, I'm going on. Treatment satisfaction and patient masking. Surely there must have been some differences in these parameters. Well, Ken, the short answer is no. Table 3 in the manuscript details the change in secondary outcomes, and they did longitudinal mixed models and did not demonstrate any difference between the groups for any of the secondary outcomes. It's pretty remarkable, I think. So let's start some critical commentary on the study now that we've looked at the results. So it was a large and well-designed study which aimed to see if paracetamol was an efficacious treatment for uncomplicated lower back pain with no red flags. And it is important to note that the time to self-reported being pain-free was the primary outcomes. So that would be a VAS of zero to one. Both as needed and regular dosing of paracetamol did not seem to make for a more speedy recovery. Yeah, I felt it was a very well done study, but I do have some concerns that about a third of the patients they approached declined to participate. And there are also issues with external validity to the emergency department setting. These were people who self-presented to general practitioners, some pharmacists, and a few physiotherapists, or responded to a community ad. A reasonable question would be, are these people different than what present to the emergency department? In addition, how is low back pain perceived in Australia and New Zealand? There can be differences in perception, approaches, and management between countries when it comes to various conditions. It would be interesting to hear from someone down under 
I mean, if you're an SGEM listener from Oz or New Zealand, send me an email. I would love to hear and share what your thoughts are on this. Ken, naproxen was used as a rescue medication, and this study was industry-sponsored. This study might later be used as a support for naproxen as a standard for lower back pain. What do you think about that? Oh, Paul, you're not just a skeptic. You're starting to sound like a cynic. But the drug company that sponsored this trial makes paracetamol, so you would think that any bias would be towards finding an effect in favor of paracetamol. Well, I think anybody who has read Ben Golliker's book called Bad Pharma would become kind of cynical towards the pharmaceutical industry. And for me, in my practice, I'm not used to using naproxen as a rescue medication, and that's kind of outside my regular practice, so that was a red flag for me in this case. Well, I think the lack of efficacy says more about the complex nature of low back pain in our society than it does about the treatment. When there are multiple modalities all claiming to have great effect for the same condition, I am skeptical that anything really works well, whether it be medical therapy, manipulative therapy, or non-science-based therapy. I would interpret the data saying the natural history of acute low back pain with no underlying serious pathology is a self-limiting condition. We should not expect paracetamol to affect time to recovery in this type of situation. Maybe Voltaire was right. The doctor's job should be to entertain the patient while nature takes its course. What do you think, Ken? Well, I think that there's certainly a very strong placebo effect involved in any treatment of low back pain. And if the placebo effect is large and the active treatment effect is small, it may be hard to distinguish the signal or the treatment from the noise, the placebo effect. And those patients who believe in the treatment modality would more likely get the benefit from that treatment. So I think when it comes to treating non-serious low back pain, it all depends. But Paul, could you comment on our conclusions to those of the authors? Yeah, sure. I agree with their conclusion based on the data presented. I like that they encourage these readers to be skeptical of um, the universal endorsement of paracetamols for these type of patients. And across the population, at least here in Norway, we were worried about the quite vast numbers of uh, paracetamol tablets consumed by the population in a year. Yeah, we're concerned here too. And I think a lot of it uh, is because paracetamol or acetaminophen is in a lot of different products and often in combination. And so patients can inadvertently take more than the recommended daily amount, even if they're taking straight paracetamol and then reach for, let's say, a cold remedy or something that has paracetamol in it as well. And they can exceed those daily recommendations. And we too are worried about the consequences, specifically with regards to liver toxicity. So the bottom line is it appears that paracetamol does not improve time to recovery compared to placebo for outpatients with low back pain. And the clinical implications or application is that this is just one, the only apparently, and the first RCT looking into this issue. And it's not strong enough evidence for me to abandon recommending this treatment modality. I would like to see a study replicated in my practice environment, specifically a study looking at consecutive patients presenting to the emergency department. 
with low back pain. Paul, what do you tell patients who come into your eMERGE with this type of situation? I would say um, you appear to have a mechanical injury to your lower back. There are no red flags to suggest anything more serious going on uh, right now, which is good news for you. The natural history of this condition is for it to resolve on its own with or without treatment. Has anything worked for you in the past? Different treatments have shown different potential benefits and harms. Taking paracetamol has not been shown to speed up your recovery. Most people get better within a few weeks. You should try to stay as active as possible and see your primary care doctor in a couple of weeks if the pain is not resolving. Please return to the emergency department if your pain is getting worse or you develop any of those red flag symptoms we discussed or otherwise concerned. And Paul, I think that's a very reasonable approach and a nice way to present it to patients, especially when there's no clear evidence of benefit, and just discuss it with them and try to make a shared decision. So now it's time for the Keener Contest. Last week's winner was Los Swisher from Philadelphia, and I'm sorry if I said your name wrong. They knew that the name of the ECG manifestation of pericarditis, named after Dr. David Spodek, is Spodek sign, which is a downward sloping of the TP segment, and it is suggestive of pericarditis and reported as many as 80% of patients. It can be essentially the entire QRST segment, and lead 2 has been reported to be the usual best lead to see this in. Paul? What is the keener question this week? Yeah, so um, our keener question for this week is um, obviously about paracetamol or acetaminophen. Why was paracetamol or acetaminophen abandoned as a drug for nearly 60 years after its first patient trial in 1899? If you know the answer to this week's keener contest question, then send me an email, the sgem at gmail with Keener in the subject line. The first person to correctly answer the question will receive a cool skeptical prize. Now there is an upcoming BEAM conference in two weeks. It's going to be QBEAM in Quebec City, September 29th and 30th. I'm sure there's still a few seats available. Thanks, Paul, for being the first and best guest skeptic from Norway on the SGEM. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Paul, as the skeptical guest, you get to give the SGEM tagline. Okay, I'll do my best. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. <laughs>